Hi, everyone. Welcome to Journeys with PDA Coffee Chat Podcast, where we seek connection, community, and co-regulation while discussing all things PDA. And welcome to Journeys with PDA Coffee Chat Podcast. I'm Heather. And I'm Carissa. Today we're talking about a topic that comes up often when we're talking about autism. Often people will say, aren't we all a little autistic? Or I think I might be a little autistic. We're going, we're going to dive into what it actually means to be autistic and why you can't be just a little bit. Would that be just like you can't be just a little bit pregnant? Exactly. Exactly. You either are or you aren't. So as a disclaimer, um, it goes without saying that neither myself or Carissa or anyone at Journeys with PDA are diagnosticians. Um, we are just a couple of moms with lived experience um, with having autistic family members and being autistic ourselves. Um, okay, so first let's take a look at the actual criteria uh, for being diagnosed as autistic. So um, we're, we're gonna read through, we're gonna talk about these, these points um, and just really look at what it means um, to be autistic. Uh, and so this is what you would find in the diagnostic manual. So, um, all right, Heather, point number one. Yep. So if we are, um, again, just like Carissa said, um, when we are looking at the diagnostic criteria for autism, um, we need to keep in mind that in this episode, we're really talking about um, the typical presentation of autism. If you are coming to us and listening to us as um, members of the pathological demand avoidance community, um, you know that the many, many PDAers um, have an atypical presentation of autism. Um, so we're just going to kind of step out of, of the PDA realm for just a little bit today and talk about the 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 class the classic um, characteristics of typical autism. So, <clears throat> if we're looking at the DSM five, which is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual and the fifth rendition of it, um, it is autism is diagnosed when there is a deficit. Um, in three areas of social communication. And it has to be a persistent deficit in these three areas of social, social communication. Um, the first one would be deficits in social emotional reciprocity, ranging, for example, from like an abnormal speech approach, um, failure of normal back and forth conversation, um, also, there might be a reduced sharing of interests, emotions, or effect, um, and there may be a failure to initiate or respond to social interactions. 
Um, so that that is kind of like the first global um, characteristic. Now, I am not diagnosed. This is Heather. I am not diagnosed autistic. I am late diagnosed um, ADHD. However, I highly, highly, highly suspect I am autistic. Um, and that might sound a little um, contrary to what we're talking about today when we're saying, well, you can't, you know, you either are aut autistic or you're not. You might have some characteristics, but it doesn't mean that, you know, that you are autistic. And I realize, you know, that that might seem like a contradiction. Um, however, when I look at my experiences and when I look at personally the, the what the DMS-5, you know, lays out, I can pinpoint like almost every single um, one of these diagnostic criterias and see how it manifests in, you know, all the areas of my life. So yes. when we're looking at the, the social emotional reciprocity, you know, how, how did that come about? You know, how does that characteristic manifest itself with you, Carissa? Um, that, that can be a, a little bit of that. I, I don't follow conversations really well. Um, I have a difficult time understanding the timing, which means, um, I'm either way too quiet and I don't, I don't say enough. I'm not giving enough to the conversation or I'm jumping in, maybe talking over somebody else. And, um, it's just, I, I don't instinctually follow the flow of a conversation. Um, sometimes I, I don't follow the concept and, and I'm like, um, I'm not really understanding even what's going on in this conversation. Um, so that, that's a little bit of, my lived experience, um, which, uh, I think a lot of people can struggle with, um, keeping a conversation, keeping attention, um, timing. Um, I mean, communication is so difficult. Um, and this is where we get into like, oh yeah, well that's hard for me too. Well, that, that doesn't mean you're a little bit autistic. Um, and, and so, you know, like Heather, you said, you can pinpoint all of these points. So being, right. being autistic means you're going to have a deficit in every single one of these, um, where if you're not autistic, you might struggle in one area, but then you're going to not in these other areas. It's, it's not um, going to be pervasive. Across, you know, all the environments. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And um, Carissa, we we failed to mention um, at the onset that you are diagnosed autistic. Oh, yes. That, yeah, that's correct. I, um, I did have um, kind of the opportunity to be able to go through um, like a full assessment. Um, and, and so I did it with a clinical psychologist and was able to, um, have that diagnosis, um, which I understand that can be really difficult and not everyone has access to that. Um, which is why the autistic community does respect someone who is going to self-identify. Um, 
as being autistic because they can't, you know, whatever blocks there are, they, they don't have the resources to have that diagnosis. Um, having a diagnosis, you know, kind of as a side note, um, was very beneficial to me, um, because I think that I always would have just been filled with self-doubt. And, and so, um, because I am autistic, I really wanted that black and white. I want it lined out. I want the parameters. Um, and that, that was really beneficial to me. And it was also really helpful in going, okay, this is how my brain works. Um, I'm not broken. I'm not a weirdo. Um, my brain works different and the things that I struggle with are, they're valid and, and then it helps me work through, um, I, how to figure out how to like live life. Right. Right. Um, and I also feel like, you know, once I had that realization, like, Oh yeah, this, this sounds very familiar. Um, it, it allows me to give myself grace in the yes. things that used to be, you know, that, it, and I'm going to say used to be, they still are difficult. Um, I no longer feel, um, less than. Yes, um, exactly. I, I feel, yeah, it's just kind of like, oh, well, hey, I just, I understand this differently. I have, you know, a different take. Oh, you know, I, I'm not, and it also gives me the freedom to um, let people know more freely, like people who I don't necessarily have relationships with, to just go, you know, I, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm autistic. I'm sometimes I don't connect the dots. Sometimes I, you know, I, I misunderstand things. You know, if you catch me or if you, if I'm seem to be going down a road in this conversation, that's not quite where, you know, it should be going, please, you know, let me know. And then I'm like, Oh, you know, okay. Cause, because I don't pick up on subtle hints. I don't pick up on. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's Yeah. And if people There's, like try to beat her, beat around the bush, oh, people, yeah. you know, you know, when they, it's, it's just so, and, and it takes so much energy. It takes so much energy to try and decode what, what neurotypical people just have that, you know, they, they had the playbook, they have the playbook and it's like, we we're it, still trying to figure out cipher and it's like, we have these decoder rings and you know, it just takes so much more energy. So another characteristic um, that the DSM-5 looks at in to diagnose autism is deficits in nonverbal communication um, that are used for social interaction. Um, for example, poorly integrated and uh, verbal and nonverbal communication to abnormal abnormalities in eye contact. There's that eye contact. So important. So it's like important. the, oh, it's the key to life. Um, it's the key to, that's right. <laughs> we can't be human beings if we're not making eye contact at people, right? Sorry for those of you that have a difficult time picking up on sarcasm, which I understand. That was sarcasm. Um, 
so abnormalities in in eye contact and body language or even deficits in understanding and the use of gestures um, to a total lack of facial expressions um, or any kind of nonverbal communication. Um, I know like an, a real life example from my life is I have a very, very difficult time looking people in the eyes. Um, I notice that when, you know, when we're doing Zoom chats and all these other things that when it's finally time for me to speak or whatever, I cannot look, I have to, you know, I look everywhere else. Um, I find that to be true when I'm talking to my husband um, because, and, and then again with, you know, I talked about so much energy in the first point with trying to decode neurotypical language, you know, that verbal communication, it's the same thing with the eye contact. It takes so much energy to, to like, how, how long do I look? Is this too long? Am I staring? Do I look away now? Do it now? If I look away, how long do I look away? You know, and then on top of, so now we've got, you know, trying to interpret and, and put forth neurotypical body language on top of, of trying to decode neurotypical spoken language. That's another whole layer of just energy that is just so exhausting. It, it, there's, it's just, it's, it's just, it's really, it's tough. It's tough. The, so the point about eye contact is, um, it's so interesting because, um, there is such, uh, this huge emphasis put on, um, eye contact and, we, we hear so often, um, well, your child can't be autistic because they make too much eye contact. Um, and, and that actually was a, a huge block in my son's diagnosis. And, um, and we know with PDA, PDAers tend to make eye contact. My son has a atypical, um, autism diagnosis. He's not PDA, but he, but that presentation is different. And so, um, he can make more eye contact. Um, and, and I really think that he makes more eye contact because communication is so difficult that, that it's not that he's making eye contact, but it's more that he is staring you down because he's desperately trying to read you and, and read the signals. Um, and then it's like, oh no, he makes too much eye contact. Well, he's desperately trying to decode what's going on. Mm -hmm. Now with myself, I find, um, eye contact can be really difficult when I'm speaking. So if I'm listening, I can look at you and listen, and and I'm going to be reading your body language. I'm I'm reading your face facial expressions, um, and the difficulty is when I'm speaking, I can't make eye contact as often because I need to be able to look away because I'm running. My mind is like a file cabinet. Um, I think very much 
in pictures and I, and, and so I am searching through my file cabinet, Mm -hmm. trying to pull out the information that I need to describe whatever it is I'm, I'm trying to describe or remember. And, and I can't find that information in my mind while staring you in the face. And, Mm -hmm. and so that's why when you're speaking with an autistic person, um, you're going to see them need to look away in order to concentrate and put together their thoughts. Um, however, I have learned eye contact is expected. Um, it's required, it's demanded. And, and so I, part of my masking is I have trained myself to make eye contact and, and to look at you. And, and it was part of my, um, being diagnosed has actually relieved that pressure. And I now have relieved and released myself from that requirement for, for that social requirement. Mm -hmm. Um, Use of gestures is really interesting because um, I don't know why, but like people love the fist bump and they love high fives. And um, I, and I see this more often with my son where somebody will be like, oh, cool. And they'll put their hand up and he's just like, what, what are you? doing and and he'll and and I can see it in him and he's like why would I want to touch my hand to your hand like it's absurd and um and like people always wanted to do like hey buddy and they like put their fist up and he'll just look at them like why, why would I do such a thing? And, and because I have such a, you know, emphasis on authentic, positive autistic identity. I don't tell him, oh, give him a high five, um, you know, fist bump. Um, I will tell the other person, hey, we don't do that because we mm-hmm. don't want to. Um, which is, I was really shocking for that other person. And I know that it makes them feel awkward, but I'm like, Hey, we, we already feel awkward. So you might as well feel awkward too. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And, and then also like next time you see us, don't try to make us fist bump you because we're not gonna. And, 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 but that is very confusing for people, but that's where. It's not like you're not being rude, but, but it's just like, that does not make any sense. And it doesn't make sense at any point or time or with any person. So it's not like, it's not like my son doesn't want to fist bump or high five a particular person. Um, And this is where it's like, it's widespread. Like he is not going to high five anyone. Like it is not happening. Mm-hmm. That doesn't exist mm-hmm. in his communication method. Right. And I think, you know, I, I have been trying more and more 
to ask the other person, like, especially if it's a person that, you know, I don't know if it's a child I'm being introduced to or like, oh, do you fist bump? Oh, hey, do you high five? Do you, you know, so I offer the choice of, you know, oh, do you have like, um, maybe some family members that, you know, I don't live near extended family, um, because well, that's a whole other story. Military, we just don't live near people, um, our family. And so I have inter very, um, sporadic interactions with extended family members. And, um, you know, when it comes to when I'm seeing, you know, my nieces, I may only see them maybe once a year. And I don't automatically assume that because I got a hug last year when I saw them, I, you know, it's going to be okay to do it this, you know, oh, hey, do you hug? Oh, that's okay. You want to fist bump or nothing, you know, or hey, all right, see you later. Um, it, and it not only that, but I think it also goes to, you know, kids, teaching kids, it's okay to have body autonomy. Um, oh, absolutely. That's a whole other rabbit hole as well. Absolutely. But I, I think like you bringing up hugging is, is actually really relevant to this because um, that, that is part of our cultural, social, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. expectation. That's part of that body language and the gestures um, that, you know, when you see the person, you give a hug. Now I'm the kind of person that um, like, I, I like to hug. Um, and so when I see you, if I know you, I'm probably going, you know, like I will give you a hug. Um, and that doesn't make me uncomfortable. Um, I also like, that's part of how, you know, I grew up, like that was expected. And, and so it doesn't bother me. Now with Steven, um, my son, uh, hugging is very, very uncomfortable. Um, touch is very uncomfortable. Um, he's a sensory avoider. So there's, there's lots of things playing into that and he does not want to be touched and he does not want a hug. And, um, that, that is a very difficult part of being neurodiverse in a neurotypical world when, that is the expectation. And it's not, he's not being rude. It, it's so unbearably overwhelming uncomfortable. and uncomfortable. Yes. yes. He, I, he wants to I, crawl out of his skin. And, yes. and so, um, I, I find myself, um, physically blocking him from other people when they're, when they're approaching with a hug, a lot of times I have to step in front of him and say, Hey, whoa, you know, you need to ask before you do that. Um, you need to check with him mm -hmm. before you mm -hmm. touch him. Um, and that it, like, if, if you get anything out of what we're talking about today, Please understand that when you are with an autistic person, touch is, is very uncomfortable. It's very, like, it's a serious thing. You need to ask before you touch. Um, if, if, if they're avoiders. Yeah. Yes. If they're um, and avoiders, yeah. like, and, and really my, any, I mean, 
you should just go well, around that touching people, right? <laughs> so that, that should be right. standard practice. It, it is not. It is not <laughs> standard practice. But you know, so like my daughter's autistic, and and she's probably going to. She's going to hug you first um, and she's not going to ask, you know, so she's that opposite. Uh, But it's important to realize that 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 is part of how their brain is wired, is the difficulty with gestures, body language. Um, My son is is not going to shake your hand and you're going to think it's impolite, but that's, you know, that's how it is. Get a grip. <laughs> Get a grip, people. It's all right. Um, and I think that you, you brought up a really, really, really good point is that it's, it, you know, you use the word, I think, uncomfortable. Like it's just, it's uncomfortable for, for your son to be hugged. He's not a, he's a sensory avoider. Um, there are times where it's not just uncomfortable it's literally painful for me to, yes and I, yes it's and it's it's not like skin pain it's not like it is this it is this core from yeah, the very it, yes. inside of your being that and and it's it's unless you've experienced you know it's just you can't you can't unless somebody has experienced that you can't explain it to people who haven't experienced that kind of thing. It's just this, this core uncomfortableness and pain. And like you said, skin crawl. I mean, it's just, it's like you have a zillion fire ants under your skin and you can't, you just can't get away from it. Yes, that, that is yeah. a very, a and very accurate it, description. Right. And, and it's, it, 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 and it goes to, you know, what kind of tolerance that autistic person has on that given day, you know, absolutely hug might be okay. Hug might be okay on Monday. You know, it's not, it may not be okay on Tuesday and, um, you know, it, just accepting that and understanding that it's not a rejection. It's not, it's just the way our neurobiology and our nervous system, you know, that's just the way we are. It's just the way we are. Yes. All right. So uh, how about point number three? Number three. So the third diagnostic uh, characteristic for autism um, according to the DSM-5, is deficits in developing, maintaining, and understanding relationships, ranging, for example, from difficulties adjusting behavior to suit various social contexts, to difficulties in sharing imaginative play or in making friends, to an absence of interest in peers. Um, so that you know, the first, the first point there were deficits in developing, maintaining and understanding relationships. Um, personally, I have a very difficult time with follow-up, like what is follow-up and what is stalking? (laughs) It's kind of like, I don't, it's really, it's tough. It's like, okay, 
and now that I recognize that in myself, like now that I recognize that, like I go back and I think about things that happened 20 years before and not that I was a stalker or, you know, I was you know, <laughs> following people around with my car, but, you know, like, did I email too many times? Did I, you know, should I not have text, whatever, whatever, whatever it looked like for me at the moment, you know, um, hopefully it wasn't stalkerish, but that's what I have a hard time with. And I know, you know, working, thank goodness, you know, we, we have a wonderful team um, made up of myself, you and Dusty, and I can just be very, look, do, what do I do from here? Do I follow up this email? Am I stalking this person with this email? You know, tell me, I need to know what the social parameters are here. Um, so that's really, really helpful. The heart behind the iMom podcast is storytelling because every mom has a story to tell. I know that when I talk to my friends who are parenting and we share stories, we all end up feeling less alone and more capable of loving our kids well. You can find information everywhere on the internet. Some is bad parenting advice and some is pretty wise. We like to think there's a lot of wisdom on iMom.com and when you combine that signature wisdom with a great story, it brings parenting to life. We want a mom who's listening to see herself and her kids in these stories and rest in the confidence that she is the perfect mom for her kids. Check out the I'm On podcast with new episodes every Monday. Well, and it is about not understanding kind of the social expectations. Where do, you know, what are those parameters? Um, that can be really difficult. Um, I think also you know, on the other side, like you probably should text, but you don't. And, and then maybe mm -hmm. you waited too long and, and you don't know how to go back. Um, and, and so a lot of it is that maintenance, maintenance part. It, it's, it is hard to figure out. And, um, it, and it has to do with that back and forth kind of relationship that, that give and take, which, just doesn't come natural because I don't know, those brain wires are different. And, and so you don't have the back and forth. And, and so it's hard to maintain friendships and, and to have them. Um, and I think about when, in, um, you know, when I was in grade school, it, it was really, really difficult for me to keep friends. Um, and, and one of the big things though, that, that comes into play for maintaining a friendship is, um, being able to keep appropriate interest in someone else. And so when you're autistic, you have your special interests in, you get hyper-focused and, and when somebody's not really involved in that interest, you, you sort of just don't have an interest in them. Um, and, and so that can be difficult, but also when, when you're talking with somebody, you tend to only want to talk about what you're interested in. And because you don't read body language or facial expressions, 
then you're going on and on about something that's so incredibly fascinating and exciting. And you think the whole world thinks it's super cool. And you're not even realizing that this other person is like feeling like they're being tortured because (laughs) they're, you know, like it's not interesting to them, but also like, uh, that, that, uh, we call it info dumping and you just go, 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 go. And you're not taking a pause and you're not taking a break and you're not even letting that other person kind of like join the conversation. Cause you're not having a conversation, you're like giving a lecture and that makes maintaining a friendship really difficult. My my husband calls that for in our house, he calls it Heather facts. And, you know, cause I do, I info, I, I, and I can't, I mean, it's like, if I don't do it, it's like an itch that you can't scratch. You just have to get it all out. Um, yeah. So it's Heather facts or he'll say something like, oh, it must be Heather fact o'clock. <laughs> you know, like, yes, now just, I've got to do this. I've got to tell you about the most mundane thing, but it, I've got to get it out of me. Um, one of the, one of the things that I'll do is um, I'll say, Hey, I have a great idea. And my husband is just like, mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> you know, because I'm also doing it like a hundred times a day. Like I have a new fantastic idea a hundred times a day. And also I, cause I'll get ho- hyper-focused. I've already researched, you know, like all of it. And I know, I know everything about, I was like, I even have a plan. And, you know, and my husband's like, you can't have, you know, 20 plans for today, like slow down. <laughs> and cause I'm always like, oh, I had an idea. I have, th- I have this idea, but also I'm, I'm like bursting to share this idea. And, and I like, I have got to tell somebody <laughs> and, you know, so he gets to hear like a million ideas and he usually just nods and is like, that sounds great. And I'm the then, big picture person in our family, but I have no follow through. Like I can't, I can't organize the steps that it takes to do that. I don't, um, I, I'm just the big picture person. And <laughs> well, and I think that's sometimes why my husband doesn't love my great ideas because I will, I will have this <laughs> big idea. I'm like, here it is. It's this is wow. And I have some facts and research and steps. And, and he's like, I am not interested in implementing your plan because he's the (laughs) one that is going to actually have to do it because I, I could put together a plan and I have this like idea. And then he's like, that's pretty abstract and not going to work. And I was like, I think it will. So I'm going to order this. And he's like, not, not happening, but that's, that's that. I I have my topic and I love it. And if I also am not interested in your topic, 
my my brain just won't hold on to it. And that part is tough. Yes, yes it is. And it's like, and then it'll be like three years later. And then all of a sudden, because it has meaning and it's not that it didn't, it's not that I didn't care about what the other person was trying to communicate or what they were trying to share. It's just that if it, it really, it doesn't hold any kind of meaning, but then maybe three years later, if the same thing gets brought up and it's relevant to whatever my brain wants to hook onto at that moment, then I can listen, I can absorb, I can understand, I can, you know, I can do it because it has, you know, it, it's, there's a high enough reward in it. Yes. Yeah. For my brain to, to see it and remember it and hold on to it and, you know, be able to, um, uh, comprehend it. Right. Right. Um, so the other thing too is, um, you know, lack of interest in peers. And, um, this is something that you see more often, uh, in, in, you know, elementary age grade school kids is, um, you know, yet you have the kid who is so content to just sit over here and, you know, do Legos and, and they really have no interest in what's going on around them. And they are not initiating interactions with others to engage them into what they're doing. Um, just, they're just totally happy doing this thing by themselves. And, you know, they, they may even, um, become irritated if interrupted and, and that, you know, that other thing is if that other child wants to come and play Legos with them and then it's like, whoa, whoa, you like, you are not, you are not actually doing it right. And so therefore I have no interest in you being involved. Um, and I'm going to probably get up and leave be, you know, and, and, that rigid thinking and, and that black and white. Um, and like, I'm going to probably, you know, I want it all lined up exactly, like exactly perfect. And if you come in here and you got some wonky lines, I'm just like, I can't put up with you, you know? So I don't have any interest in making it work. I don't have any interest in finding a way to engage you. And, and so, you know, like my son, he's completely happy to play in his room by himself mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and he's not seeking social engagements. Um, and so of course, side note, PDA as a whole, that's, that's different, um, situation when it comes to social interactions, but, you're just like, let me do, let me do my thing. Don't interrupt me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I wonder how much of it comes from, again, having all the energy it takes to have that reciprocal relationship with a peer. Yes. You know, it's just kind of like, I'm, it are, it's already taking so much energy just to exist 
in a neurotypical world, you know, just having a, a, you know, a relationship, you know, having to navigate something else on top of that is just too much. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and how are you going to explain to this other person, like, you know, your vision for whatever it is that you're doing and, um, that, you know, kind of that lack of collaboration can be difficult. Something that's very interesting though, when you talk about social interactions and collaborating is, um, when autistic people come together and, and then it's beautiful and yeah. communication flows and it works. And, um, you and I are a great example of that, that, that we work together. Amazing. We, we have the communication. Um, but we also go, I don't know what you, I don't know what you want. I don't know what that means. I don't know what you're talking about. And, and the other person is going to be like, okay, that's cool. Maybe I did. I probably didn't even say it in a full sentence, you know? And so it, you and I communicate really well together and we talk really well together. Um, we, we have, I don't know, it's like an autistic connection and yeah, autistic people can, there's, yeah. There's actual studies on autistic language. Um, and it's been a really long time since I've actually dove into it and have read it, but, um, there, there are, there, there is, um, studies, there are studies out there about how autistics have almost like a shorthand. They have their own, their own, I would just, just say dialect, you know, autistics yeah. just have their own dialect and, um, with, with being able to understand, understand each other. Yes. Um, that, that being said, I, I have, I do have friends who are not autistic and they're neurotypical, maybe, you know, but, uh, and, and, and I've learned and grown and it's almost mm -hmm. a skill that it can take time to develop. Um, sometimes it's still really hard, but it, you know, I can interact with, you know, non-autistic. The, nor the normies. People. The, nor the oh, oh my gosh. I was going to say normies. And then I was the like, can I say that? Are we allowed well, okay. to say that? So here, here is my take on normies. Um, it, I, I had, there is a, um, uh, mental health specialist that I was in on some meetings with and she termed, she used the term normie and I loved it. And, um, also there's a, a, a show I think on Netflix, I think it's Netflix and it's Wednesday and it's about Wednesday Adams from the Adams family. And she goes to this school. I've only seen one episode, <laughs> but she goes to the school and it's for non-typical people. Um, and the people who don't go to the school, the people at that school, they call them normies, like the normal people on the outside of the school, they just call them normies. So I'm figuring, well, if it's part of the lexicon of, 
you know, what's happening, you know, in this show, I'm like, well, if it's not, and if you don't like normies, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> don't send us any emails about. Don't send normies. us. I, I have a really good heart. Um, <laughs> I've been called a lot worse by other people. <laughs> so, okay. Um, so yeah. next let's, let's talk about restricted and repetitive behaviors because i i think when i remember back doing like the assessment information for um both of my children this was a hard question and i was like well what does that mean um now looking back i realize i didn't pick up on my kids's repetitive behaviors because i myself am autistic and so those behaviors didn't stand out as abnormal or not typical and that seemed perfectly normal to me because i myself was doing the same thing so let's talk about um repetitive behaviors because that can be i think hard to understand I, I really like your example of your repetitive behavior that you have, that you do with your flipping. With oh, your, or is yes. it, it your, I guess. So that would, that would be a repetitive behavior. And, and, um, so this is when stimming, which is in um, stimming. Yeah, so stimming comes into repetitive behavior, mm -hmm. and I can never remember what stimming is actually. It's an abbreviation, um, but but it has to do with something that you do over and over that helps to calm your nervous system. So one of I, I have a lot of um, stims. I have a lot of repetitive behaviors. Um, because I am a heavy masker and, and those behaviors help keep my nervous system on track and calm so that I can mask and, and look normal. And, um, that's not necessarily great for mental health. Um, and that's something I, I have to work through and understand in my, as my, own self and as I mm -hmm. have this diagnosis. But so one of, one of the things that um, I have is, um, so I have a tiny narrow post-it. It's like the bookmark type um, and I keep it at my desk. And um, I like to run my thumb against the edge. So, um, and I, do this and I would I could do it over and over for a whole hour or however long but this this sensation and the repetitiveness um helps to calm me it helps me to be focused um and and I need that um another one that I do is um I take my thumb and my first finger and I rub them together in a circle. Um this is one that I think I learned because it's very discreet. Um and I I can do that. It feels very calming to me. 
Um, but if I were talking with you and I had my hands down to my side, that's something that I can do and you're not going to pick up on it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and that is a repetitive behavior. So I'm doing that over and over. It's not something that, um, I plan or I try, or I think about it's, it's just my nervous system. It's just what I Mm -hmm. automatically do. So I'm almost always going, um, like this, rubbing, like rubbing. Um, I also have, uh, like a foot leg ankle repetitive behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and I get that lots of people like to tap their feet, but I'm like, it has to happen. I have to have that motion and that movement or I literally like I can't exist and I like I could I can't be here if I do that and and it's interesting because not very long ago my the way that I move my ankle and my foot my daughter has observed it and was mimicking me teasing um and was like, because you always do this. And I didn't realize that I actually have a very specific pattern to the point of she could recognize the pattern. And she was like, this is, this is how you do it. And so she was like, I am pretending to be mama. And that like, you can't be mama unless your foot is moving, you know, in this specific way pattern and um ultimately if I could be like all like all three of them you know that that's probably you know happy that would be nirvana right yeah that's like the best if I can absolute autistic bliss yes yes (laughs) when you're like full full full-on stem all the way um but it looks really it looks yes embrace the stem. Yes. Um, but it looks really different for everybody. Mm-hmm. It, it's not, yep. it's not always the same. Um, I think there's a misconception in, um, they think repetitive behavior is the little boy with his train set and he sits on the floor and he's rocking back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, or and that's not hand flapping and hand flapping. And that is, that's, mm-hmm. That's not accurate. Um, actually, I was I was told um, by a professional who was with the public school that my son cannot be autistic because he is not spinning in circles and flapping his hands. Um, and that's that that is not um, that is not what it means to be autistic. Um, and that is actually not, that it's is harmful. not the diagnostic criteria. No, it's not. No, it's not. And, it, and it's harmful to have that, you know, if that is your, your absolute as a diagnostician, then it's, it's very harmful because it's, there's a whole, there's a whole population of people who are not getting the supports that the accommodations are not being made for them because they don't 
present typically autistic. Yes. And that, and that hand flapping spinning in a circle is, um, that's just that stereotypical, really narrow minded Mm -hmm. perception. And, um, so it, but, but it's also talking about, um, like restrictive interests, Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's where like the special interests come in and like, anything outside of that interest, like they don't, they don't care about. And it's not like, oh, I love gardening. It's like, you know, for my son, it is Legos and Minecraft. And, and there just is not hardly anything outside of that. It's very restrictive. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and for but my he son, is, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's F1 racing and space exploration. And, and they, they, you can't, and you can't be like, oh, let's learn about this. They're like, nope. Like, nope. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not. It's, um, yeah. Again, I think it's because it just takes up, it doesn't hold meaning and it takes a lot of energy to put on the facade. Yes. Yes. Looking, you know, it's just, yeah, they find their groove, they find their, they find the flow and that's, that's the, it's least resistance and, you know, and it brings them joy and they don't have to work as hard. Yes. Yes. Um, so, so the next one is, um, insistence on sameness, um, inflexibility, uh, adhering to routines, ritualized patterns. Um, that, that could be, you know, something verbal, um, and yeah, special interests. So, Mm -hmm. Talk about, um, talk about sameness and routine and what, like, what does that look like in your house? So in our house, so, um, when we're looking at my son and the sameness and routine for my son, um, he's going to have the exact same breakfast presented to him in the exact same way every single day. Um, the next two meals may have be variations on a theme, but it's going to involve cheese pizza, thin crust, cheese pizza, chicken nuggets, and French fries. Sometimes a quesadilla might be a substitute for one of those, um, sameness routine. Um, we, my husband and I were talking about this yesterday. It's so funny. Um, I was getting into the passenger side of my car um, and my husband was driving and usually my son is in the, the passenger side. And I looked down and there were Skittles on the floor from our last um, car trip. And I said, oh, there are Skittles over here. And then so my husband goes, I didn't even know Will, you know, my son, I didn't even know he, he likes Skittles. And I said, but it's a thing. Like, yes, he'll, he has Skittles when we're on a road trip. And they have to be bought out of a vending machine. 
you know, so it's like it, it, I mean, there, there's just, and it's just sameness and routine. Oh, we're going on, you know, when we, um, when we travel down to my parents, we always stop in one particular city and spend the night and we have to order DoorDash from the same pizza restaurant every single time we go. Um, not the best pizza in the world. I'm not saying not that this city is particularly known for their pizza, but apparently the first time we, we checked this restaurant out, I didn't, didn't realize there would be no room for trying another one. Um, so we're kind of stuck with that one, but that's the sameness in routine and I don't fight it. I don't anything, you know, because it's, this is what aligns his nervous system. Mm -hmm. This is what makes things right in the world for him. And that's okay. That's and, and you talk about like the energy that it takes to mm -hmm. exist. Yes. And when you have sameness and a routine and you know what to expect, then you, you can just flow through it mm -hmm. and it's not taking all that energy. And, right. and so that's where that, you know, comes in. That's where that sameness is so important because it helps bring regulation and right. order. And um, we we see a lot of if I say this is how the day is going to go tomorrow, um, and then when we get there, if there's any deviation in that, you know, my son might panic. Um, I, I'm very much on the schedule and on the routine and, and will panic, um, when something happens and I can't, I can't follow within what was set, how it was scheduled, like the order. I'm very much about like, there is an order, you know, to, to everything. And, um, I think that also plays into that struggle with executive functioning. And so if I just have a routine and order that I can always stay with, then it, it just makes it easier. Um, so I have, I have OCD, which is diagnosed and that definitely makes that need for structure, order, routine, more intense. Um, but, but that's what helps me stay on track. That's what helps keep my brain organized mm -hmm. is, you know, and I, and I do want things to be the same. Um, my husband used to, well, he still does. He calls me, um, the queen of just so because everything has to be just so like it has to be just in the right way and and that could be the way things are lined up on the countertop and I'll be like that like that cannot go there and he's like why and I was like because I can't it's it's not in the order and mm -hmm. and so that I, I have to have that order. Um, I think that's why you see autistic people line things up 
Oh, I, ooh, a good line. Like I love, I love it to be like lined up and, um, because it gives order to my brain, which feels scrambled and wobbly and unorganized because I'm, I'm trying to process so many things, you know, so I want to eliminate as much as possible that I have to try to order in my mind. So if we just have the schedule and the order and it's lined up, then I can focus on other things. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have a full blown OCD diagnosis. I have a, a trait OCD trait diagnosis. Um, and I always say that my ADHD trumps that OCDness every single time. So if I want, you know, I want order, I want that my ADHD and the executive functioning problems that come with that. Nope. Like it just, it, it it's there, it, there's going to be a fight and the ADHD is always coming out on top. Always. Um, so we have talked a little bit about sensory and, and sensory processing. That's a huge part of being autistic and, um, everybody might feel like they don't like loud or, you know, everyone's going to think a wool sweater is itchy. That that is not like that, that is not what we're talking about as far as sensory processing difficulties. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could be sensory avoider. I'm a huge sensory avoider, but you can also be a major sensory seeker. My daughter is a huge sensory seeker, which sometimes really brings a conflict with us. So what, what is your, what is your sensory? Like, how does that play into your life? Um, well, for me, I am, I don't mind touch. I don't mind. I just can't have a lot of it all at one time. You know, I can't have it for extended periods of time. So like when my son was a baby, he was so high needs and I could not put him down like at all. I could not put this child down. Um, otherwise, if I tried, if I tried to put him down for any reason whatsoever, it was just hours and hours and hours after, you know, of picking him back up of getting him calm again. Um, and so by the time I was done. Like I, by the end of the day, I was all touched out and I could Mm -hmm. not be touched any more. Like I can't, I can't, I cannot be touched. Um, then I have like auditory, um, issues. I, I can't have things really loud unless it's something that is giving me the dopamine hits. Mm. And then I have to have it loud, um, which is very contradictory. And my husband cannot bless his heart. He should get 
an award. Um, he doesn't, he's like, that's really loud. And then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll tell him that whatever he's, why that's really loud. Can you turn that down? And it's like, it's, we, we play this constant game, but I think, you know, I think I, it's the dopamine hits for me, but then it's also the sensory issue of hearing somebody else's whatever. Um, I, even to the point where like, I finally figured out I can enjoy a movie like at a movie theater is if I take earplugs with me, if I take earplugs with me, I'm fine. I can sit there. It doesn't hurt to go to a movie. Um, those are my two biggies. And I do have food issues, sensory issues. There's some things that I absolutely cannot like remotely. No. Um, no. So those are, those are mine. Those are the biggies for me. What about, what about for you? Um, well, I, I am a huge sensory avoider and, um, I like lights, um, any kind of sounds, um, motion around me. Um, and what happens is my brain can't process all the sensory input and, and it will essentially just completely scramble my mind. Mm -hmm. I can't concentrate. I can't, I, I lose like all executive functioning. Um, I'm like temperature, um, any kind of material, um, you know, like classic tags, um, so things touching my skin, wind, um, like do absolutely do not roll the windows down in the car. Like, I, like I will just, it, it's, and it's like we talked about, it's that to my core. Yes. Excruciating. Mm -hmm. Um, so I really, really struggle with, um, going to Costco. I like, I, I don't like the lights. The lights make sounds in there. Um, the shelves are really high. And so I lose a sense of like where I'm at space and time. Um, it's crowded. Uh, the baskets are really big and, um, hard to maneuver. Um, and it's crowded and there's lots of people around you know, and then like there's sounds and then like, if you want to get lettuce, you have to go in that weird cold room. And then like, there's the, and I'm like, I am going to have a heart attack trying to get through like the lettuce room. And, and so, you know, and then like you add on top of it, like my, I might have my children with me and, you know, then my daughter is talking nonstop and she's telling me stories and ideas and she's doing her info dumping. And I am so sensory overwhelmed that I now can't, I can't even read the words on my grocery list. My brain, mm -hmm. my brain cannot even take those in. I, I can't come up with the words that I need. Um, and then I am so, so incredibly exhausted by the time that I get home that I, I literally cannot function 
all I have to lay down and sleep. And um, so this, like, this went on forever. Um, and then what happened is I'd go to Costco and I have to come home and sleep and like, there goes the rest of the day. Like mm-hmm. I'm not engaging with my family. And so I had come to the point where I, I told my husband, I like, I cannot do it. And we like, I didn't even know that I was autistic and he just was like, no problem. I'll go, I'll do it. I'll go. Um, and, and so then it, it was looking back later where I, I was like, oh, wow, that, that's why that's so draining. That's why it's so overwhelming and impossible. And, um, so I know that a grocery store, especially Costco is too much sensory overload. Um, and so I order groceries from the Safeway grocery app and I pull in the parking lot and they load them into the back of my car. And that is, that is something I need to survive that, that helps me function better in the world. And, and it's preserving Mm -hmm. my brain power. It's preserving Mm -hmm. my sensory nerves. Um, and I, I, I'm also, um, like big on touch. It has to be the right kind of touch. Um, mostly I hate, hate, hate being bumped or like jostled. I, I'm, I'm like, if you bump me twice, I'm going to have a heart attack. Like if we're in a restaurant and like my, like my chair is like facing where people are going by. And if I get bumped, my husband will be like, do you need to switch seats? And I'm just like, yeah. Cause I like, if I'm bumped one more time, like my heart is going to explode. Like my inner core is, is just like, I can't. And yeah. So ugh to be bumped. I get it. I get it. I'm having, I'm having secondary, you know, (laughs) I, I, I know exactly the feeling. Your skin's crawling. I'm like, I can't handle, this is so bizarre. I can't handle the shower curtain touching me if I'm in the shower. Oh, like I can't. Absolutely not. I, I mean, oh, it's horrible. It's just and then we have one of those like shower stalls in the ma- in our in the back bathroom. You know, we have like a a tub that's separate from the the shower stall. And the shower stall, I might accidentally touch the side or something. Like I might actually come in contact with the walls of the shower, and that I can't. I I absolutely cannot shower in that that bathroom it's got to be it's got to be one with a standard size tub as long as the curtain doesn't touch me because that's just that's like the that will ruin a good shower faster than (laughs) than the water going cold I mean like yeah and and so like if you if you take that and and you translate it in to an autistic child um who who can't verbalize they can't even recognize 
why that shower is icky. They're not going to be like the shower curtain, you know, like they, they just know that it's icky and it's uncomfortable and they can't do it. And so then you have this child who can't, won't shower mm-hmm. and you're like, how do I make my kids shower? Well, you know, the shower curtain is probably, you know, like what is, what is this sensory ramifications mm-hmm. of that shower? Mm-hmm. And it, it could be too much. And, and that plays a huge part in those day-to-day challenges. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's where you see the autistic burnout. That's where you see autistic meltdowns because their nervous system is so overwhelmed. And, and especially with children, they, they don't, they just don't have it within them to be able to explain that or talk about that. And, and that's why we're doing what we're doing. So Mm -hmm. we can say, Hey, from our experience, this is why showering is hard. This is why your kid freaks out every time you get home from the store. Their brain is fried. They're overloaded. Um, and that's important to understand. So um, let's see. We've kind of um, gone. We've kind of gone through, I guess, the mm-hmm. the bulk of this, and um, and and so the important part to understand is if you are autistic, you're going to hit somewhere, somehow in every category. Um, So right now, if you're saying like, well, I hate when the shower curtain touches me and I think Costco is loud. Well, that's true. You probably do feel that way. But you don't get to be just, you don't get to pick out certain points and just be a little little autistic. autistic. You, it's not picking and choosing and you're just a little bit, you, to be autistic, you're going to hit in every single category. And, you know, the, the hard part about this and and I think it's hard for people to really take in and understand is it's a neurodevelopmental disability. Mm-hmm. You are not able to access the world around you like others. And when when we hear people say, "Oh, I might be a little autistic because I hate the shower curtain and tags on my underwear," you you're minimizing the challenges that I go through and you're minimizing the challenges that my son and my daughter are going through and experiencing. And when you minimize those challenges and you try to say, well, everybody is like that. It makes it difficult for me to get support and accommodations for them because what they're experiencing is and for, our, and for ourselves. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's what, that's our message is you, you're not just a little bit, um, like you said, you're, you're not just a little pregnant, like you are, or you're not. Right. You know, right. You can be different stages of pregnancy. You can be, you know, just like there's different, you know, it's a spec. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and these, these challenges can present different in Mm -hmm. different people and, and it can look different. Um, and I would say if you're, if you're listening and, and you go, well, every single one of those things hits for me and, and, you know, like, well, all those fit, well, I'm not diagnosing you, but you might really want to look closer. And, and it's not that I am not autistic. It's you probably are autistic and you don't realize it. If, if you're going to identify so closely with all of these characteristics. Right. Absolutely. Perfect. Couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) Um, so um, we, if you would like to find out more about, um, we talked a lot about autism today. We, our focus is, um, the pathological demand avoidance profile of autism. If you'd like to know more about that, you can check out our website at journeyswithpda.com. You can find us on Facebook. Um, we have an Insta, um, and you can also email us at journeyswithpda at gmail.com. Yes. 